Good morning, Christ Central. Durham. <laughs> I'm a little distracted this morning. Please forgive me. Yesterday I indulged in some chicken and waffles at Dame's. <laughs> and then I went to uh, Juju's and I, with Daniel yesterday, I, c- I can't stop thinking about those dumplings. <laughs> the pork belly dumplings. You dip in the soy sauce and you eat. And I love the way it goes down in the dumpling and it gets in your mouth. It's just this explosion of taste. Um, please forgive me, I am a foodie, and so I remember cities by what I eat. My wife Kelly and I will be back. We're going to try to eat the whole city. <laughs> After a weekend, um, Happy Mother's Day, by the way. I always get in trouble with my wife on these days. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. After a weekend, for many of us who were able to be at the retreat, we've been spurred, if you will, onward to what we described and saw as a New South revolution. And I think this morning, I, th- I think it's right, especially even after the new members that joined today, that we take a good and settling and restful look at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples that you have in your bulletin this morning. It's Passover week, and since all Passover meals had to be done, within the city walls to be official. The city is hopping and scrambling with visitors, whole family groups, like, like family reunion time, all the, all the same matching off-color shirts looking for, the nun, for that one nice spot at the park. And enter Jesus and his disciples, no matching shirts, No one family name, a diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus, the big brother, if you will, and leader of the group, gives them some good news. Guess what? There there is a place for us. There's a man in Jerusalem who did a nice family room add-on. And he said we could use it for our Passover meal. So go go get everything you need and let's get ready to celebrate. Now, Now back then they would have the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread together for convenience sake. Sort of like doing family reunions again on the 4th of July or Labor Day weekend. And so they would have gotten a lamb slain at the temple and they brought it together to eat dinner. So here is this dinner scene, this last supper scene before us. And I want you to forget that picture that sat in grandmama's house with Jesus in the middle, right? I don't know how he ate standing like this, but they were reclining at a table on the left elbow, laying a little lower than the person to their right. And you had your feet kind of behind you. They had this, I don't know how to describe it, Judeo-Japanese table thing going on mats and pillows, and you would have to use that one hand to eat, and Jesus does as would be customary for the host, which is usually the place of the Father. 
And after the Passover feast, he breaks bread and gives wine. Let us pick up right there and read through this passage. I have a tendency to have longer passages. But bear with me as we read through. I want you to be there in that room. And when the hour came, he, re- he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. But behold... The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could be who was going to do this? Then the Bible says a dispute also rose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I, I, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers... Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? We covered this passage this week, Matthew 10th chapter. He tells them not to take these things with them. And they say to him, Lord, we lack nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered without the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Over the last couple of days, you've had some hard things and some, maybe some offensive and challenging and perplexing and for many of us confusing and liberating and exciting stuff thrown your way. And this call to a new South revolution right here in Durham has left many of us, me included, much like Jesus' disciples here at the Last Supper, wanting 
looking at our city, wanting more, confused, needing more info, and even failing to act like these disciples did, like they had actually lived with Jesus for the last three years. And like them, I think for us it is easy to forget or miss what Jesus is teaching us here at the Lord's Supper. When you, you are a church who is committed to a mission much like you have here at Christ Central Church in Durham, it is easy to miss teachings like this at the Lord's Supper. For God's revolution to bring change in this world and in this city, he is not asking you and me to bring the revolution, but to come to it. He's not asking us to carry the revolution, but be carried and kept by it. He's not asking you and me to to fuel the gospel revolution, but be fed by it. That the revolution might happen in us Not, rather, that the revolution might happen in us, but the burden to make it happen. Let it be on Christ. Understand, this is no ordinary meal. This was a celebration of and with their soul food. It was a meal, an occasion that was more than a snack and more than just a meal. It it told a story and around it, stories were supposed to be told. It sent a message around it like no other meal. Messages were given and Jesus uses this Passover meal to do just that. It was a soul food event. I don't know whether this is your culture expression, But like Passover here, for for us, there is a different story and message when you are at home, when soul food is served, right? In my culture, at least. I'm not talking about just chicken and biscuit, but, but, but like this Passover, the full spread. This was the the fried chicken and the fish. This was like numerous proteins. the mac and cheese and the green beans, the black-eyed peas and the okra soup, the rice, the collard and turnip greens, the candy yams, the biscuits, the cornbread, and for you, and for you might be a little different uh, sort of spread that creates your soul food, but complete with desserts too, right? Man, it's been a long time for me, y'all. I'm just hungry up here today. (laughs) The pound cake. The sweet potato pies, the pecan pie, the apple pies, the chocolate cake. We got a, we got a cake called a socket to your cake. Hmm. All right, let me stick to preaching. And when you get those elements, it tells a story. It sends a message. And like Jesus with his disciples, that Passover, as with our soul food meals, his message was clear. I'm calling into a revolutionary relationship through the message of this meal because the revolution will produce and call different, some different kind of people. Now understand, like, like our soul food times at home, the, the Passover meal was a family meal, right? You, you did it as a household and for Jesus to have this meal with them, he was declaring and establishing a people to be in a place of relationship with him and each other. It's funny how it happens, but if you come to one of our events down in Charleston, which often happens around food, 
In our culture, the meal automatically makes us intimate in ways we weren't before it. And whether it's Fourth of July, or whether it's Thanksgiving, or Christmas meal, it's usually my dad that says to someone who's visiting or eating with us, well, you family now. Just after eating some greens, you family? Is that it? I had to go through whippings and all kind of stuff. That ain't fair. And he goes on, you know, you're always welcome here. And you know what's funny? As I look back at Christmas meals and Thanksgiving meals and Fourth of July celebrations under the big oak trees in the low country, right? There is always somebody who became family right there. And oftentimes they they are eating with us because they are too far from home, some college friend or someone whose family no longer has a matriarch or patriarch to hold it all together. Or sometimes it is more deliberate than that. It's, It's a new girlfriend, a newborn baby or someone that we invited over on purpose, right? This message of the Passover meal is saying, I, Jesus, am building and creating and calling for a place and a people who because of the revolution, because of my gospel call for their lives to be changed and restored, because of the way the gospel message calls for eclectic community, and because of the way this gospel message can make us and call us who have been aliens and enemies and weirdos and misfits and and mishaps mishaps in our own communities and families and, and all the misfit people we can bring with us home for the way Jesus has made us crazy because listening and following Jesus has left many of us like these disciples disciples homeless and and feeling alone and needing somebody else who can help them understand who they are and who they become in Jesus because he Jesus has caused such a glorious mess in our lives He is making and creating and calling people like you and me and those who will come to be in a new place as a new people. And it makes sense to what Jesus says here in verse 36 and 37. He said to them, now now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's the scripture. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. What he is saying is that when he dies, and Christianity becomes a faith distinguished from Judaism, the families and the heritages that help support you when you went around declaring the good news, they will be gone. You will need a new fellowship. (laughs) You will need a new family. You will need a new family in place like you see happening around this table. Jesus is saying, for your survival, you need some help. You need somebody or bodies to talk to, right? To share your stories and share the story of the revolution or else like we see them doing and pulling out the swords at the end here, well, on your own, you will be defensive and fearful and become self-righteous or discouraged or so lonely that you get the whole Christianity thing all wrong and Jesus is saying, I will not let this happen to you, my people. Come together and be a new people in a new fellowship. 
You saw it happen in live action, right? Right up on this stage. As people joined. You see, through this meal, he is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives has been, have been misplaced and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world. He is saying, come to the table. Come to the fellowship. Come to the family. Because I, Christ, have secured and created and made a place for you to be known and loved. A place to be served and sharing and seen and fellowship with and cared for in a confusing and alienating world. Look back at verse 24 with me. The Bible says, as they're eating now, they're having a good time, right? And Jesus just said, he could have been pretty cool about it. Just let everybody eat and have a good time, Jesus. But you always got to teach something controversial, right? That's the Lord. The gospel is always, you know, going to take something and uproot it, right? It comforts you, then it tears you apart. Then it comforts you again. I'm like, in the end of it is heaven. We can't wait till heaven get here. But on the way, man, gee, I mean, come on, can't we just have the Passover meal like we had back in the day? Jesus starts something, right? We all just eating. Somebody going to betray me. Oh, man, why, Lord? It's like a scene out of The Godfather or something, right? Jesus started walking behind the table with a bat. I mean, it's just terrible. Somebody going to betray me up in here. Why, Lord, why? And you're Jesus, and so if you say it, it's probably true. So he causes this argument, right? So they go from, man, one of us is going to betray him, so the only way to counter that is, who's the greatest, Lord? Let me prove to you, I'm not the one. I'm your right-hand man, Lord. They're arguing about who's the greatest, couple things I want you to see here. Look with me. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was, was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and a leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, uh, greater one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. They're arguing about who's the greatest and a couple things I want you to see here. They're reclining at this table. It's physics, y'all. It's a, it's a physical lesson Jesus is giving them. And only have their right hands to dip and eat or do whatever they're doing. Now, in order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person on their left and, left and right to get what they needed. And so Jesus says, who is the greatest servant? The one who is at the table or the one who is not at the table. Of course, Jesus pointing himself as the greatest servant as the one who actually breaks it and starts the process. We'll get back to that. But he is also saying that we serve each other in the place and people Jesus calling us to be, that we must rely on our sense of familiness and companionship to get what Jesus has to offer. And it makes complete sense when Jesus talks about the greatest being the servant. Because think about it. When that food 
is a couple of places away and you can't reach it? You know who the greatest is? <laughs> the greatest is the one who can reach and serve you with it. To serve and pass on what you can't get being this one-armed participant at the table. Jesus calling us to be a people in a place where we only make it as we serve each other. But get this, where you can only get what you need if you get served, right? Oh, this is not written, so let me be careful. I start walking through this here, that's when I start saying messed up things, but in a church like this, and having done a church like this for 12, 13 years in Charlotte, it is easy to come in and look at a community like High Tide and think you're only coming to serve. And think, I'm just the servant here. You can't have a church be effective if you aren't coming needy and needing to be served as well. If you're coming out of guilt or shame as a servant, who can't be served, the power of the gospel, right, is going to conflict with that somewhere down the road. It'll blind you. You have to come as one who only has one hand at the table too. And that no matter how bad off somebody else is or how homeless or whatever's going on, that in some way, you're gonna sit around a table and you're going to need them to pass you something that you don't have. And man, it's a hard lesson. <laughs> Especially in a denomination like ours where we're so educated and affluent. And we want to come down here to, make, to take our guilt off. This is not a mercy ministry. This is the church. You cannot be a Christian and do very good mercy ministry. You really could. You probably could do a lot better to not be a Christian and not be in a church and do all the guilt taking off ministry in the poor side of town you can do. Oh man, think about the red tape of being a member. You have to be confronted with your shame and your guilt and whether your heart is right. Oh, man, it's going to take something like Jesus and the Holy Spirit to get that right. All right, I don't want to take too long. I know y'all only preach for 30 minutes here. <laughs> we are all one-handed in our ability to make it happen in and for ourselves, to heal and fix ourselves and our communities and bring comfort to ourselves. And Jesus is saying, come to a place where you can only get served as you serve each other, a place where everybody is needy of service and everyone is in a position to serve. And this new place in the New South Revolution right here in Durham, Jesus is calling Christ Central Durham to be a new place of revolution 
and it's called the church. Because the revolution will not and cannot happen. That, that restoration of lives and community and families, that cultural burdens will not be alleviated, that eclectic, diverse community and changing the South for the better will not and cannot happen without you being found and finding and being a part of a people and place called the church. The transformation of community starts by being transformed by the body and blood of Christ. And I got good news. There is room at the table for you through Jesus. But by all means, if you're sitting here today and you are not a member of the church, you just kind of like what they're doing around here. I urge you to find a place at a table somewhere at some church, if not this one. Because on your own, the revolution will overwhelm and discourage you and confuse you. So good news, Jesus calls us in this New South Revolution to a new place as a new people, and he has given us homes in the church. And it is in this place in his people that Jesus authenticates us, keeps us, and holds us. So we see Jesus call out the betrayer through this meal, Judas, who is not his, who turns out to not believe in Jesus. But, but right after that, he calls out Peter as being one who denies him, who will fall under the pressure of Satan. And then they have this sword thing, like, Lord, we'll raise up, we'll fight, we have swords. And they completely misunderstand what Jesus says to them. Get this, they take Jesus' conversation about, how, about who and how he, his body will be broken for them and bloodshed and, and that one of them will betray him and turn it into a conversation about who is the most righteous. Know this from this passage. Like them, we, me, and you will make mistakes and sin and fail and fall and let Jesus and other folk down in this world. You been here two years? Man, more sin, failures, and mistakes are on the way. Lots. Does that make you want to give up? Does it make you think, hey, this, this ain't the revolution if there's going to be sin and failure? In the midst of the revolution, right, you, you will ignore the poor when you shouldn't. You will laugh at and let racist and sexist jokes fly. You will be too afraid to speak up and an arrogant speak too much. You will continue to work in this place out of shame and guilt. It could be 10 years before your heart gets it right. You will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong lots of times. I, I don't, along with some of you, always believe that Jesus' thing is going to work. I look at the community, like we, we have this, this, this uh, this new map that they have about Charlotte and, um, and they show the poverty and they show the social, uh, you know, on this map about where the, where the wealth is and, and, and where the, um, the most socially active politically people are. And, and, and then the, the worst one that they showed us was that Charlotte has more churches per capita than any city in America, right? That probably means we have the most churches in the world per capita in Charlotte, right? 
And then they show the disparity, like the poverty lines and all that stuff, and the poor schools, and Charlotte ranks 50 out of 50 in being an upwardly mobile city, so if you start poor in Charlotte, chances are you're gonna stay poor. The most churches, and no change, holding the bottom line, Now, it is the most giving city, but guilt-giving, right? We're talking about, yeah, we we, we know how to raise money and be philanthropists, but the society has not changed. And when I looked at that, I left the meeting, and I was discouraged. And I was thinking, man, I just need to go get a different kind of job. Tired of this. Preaching every week, and it still hasn't changed. I'm like, Jesus, what you doing? Man, especially when it comes to Christ Central Church, come on, y'all, sometimes we are like, Jesus, man, this thing's too hard. Forget that old gospel revolution of changing community, forget church and being a believer, but while you are saying forget the revolution, selling it out, misunderstanding and twisting it, be assured to what Jesus assures Peter when he calls his name twice. Don't get it confused. This is not like mama having to call you twice, and she calls you twice. She has to call you a third time, at least the way I grew up. Something might be flying along with it. <laughs> House shoes, something. Didn't I call you two, two times? I had to. And then it stops being about the thing you're really in trouble for, and it starts to be about, I had to call you twice. This is not a double call of frustration. Jesus isn't frustrated with Peter. This is affection, y'all. This is love for a child, a younger brother that will go through some condemning situations that will try his faith. Jesus is in love with Peter in these words and it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our failures and our misconceptions and our fears and works just like this at Christ Central. Jesus is declaring he will not abandon the revolution that is happening to you. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake those who sometimes leave and forsake him. That he will pray for the prayerless that he will be the truth for those that continue to misunderstand what's going on, that he will speak up for those of us who get choked up, that he will become the servant of those who want to be haughty, that he will fix all that we have broken in our arrogance and ignorance, that he will keep up with the runner and go down with the sinner, right? That this is what is revolutionary, that our leader Jesus loves and will never stop loving sinners that are his people that he's eternally committed to them in ways that we will not and cannot be to him, that he will cover and deal with and take on their mistakes and like Peter, forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and return to them over and over and over again. That he is forever forgiving and loving. So good news, y'all. You can't ruin it. (laughs) Because Jesus won't let you down. He won't allow you to fail, fall away from him though you deny him. You can't mess up what Jesus has already promised to do in you and through you. That yes, he will call us out, right? We may be disciplined, we may be called out. Howard, you know, this is what you did, right? This is what you're doing wrong. 
but only so that his love and grace can be properly deposited in my heart. The revolution is coming. Change is coming, and if you're his, it is coming through an unbreakable, unstoppable love of God for those in the crosshairs and crossroads and backroads of a gospel revolution in the New South who are broken, not always trusting, confused so-called soldiers of Christ, welcome for some and for others of you. Welcome back. You got off. You thought it was about you. You were looking at your works. You got discouraged, but welcome back to the assurance of Jesus' love and grace and power in you and through you. And it shows and tells us again that we are not called to fuel or be the fuel of the revolution but to turn to Jesus as the food. Again, like any gathering of this sort around soul food, there is a message and a story communicated by it. And for my people, my culture, it says that we have a history in our food, use, food use that has survived and made it, and we've been resourceful in it. And now was, was hard and broken, what was hard and broken has become a celebration of life and fulfillment and family and hope. At the Passover, y'all, they would say this as, as they broke the bread back in the day. They would say, this is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to the point to point to the middle passage between free to slaves to entering the promised land when they wandered in the desert, sometimes unsure of whether it would ever happen for them. And at that time, many died and many suffered, but God fed them bread from heaven and kept them, and they did enter into the promised land. Now, this is what Jesus does, though. He gets up, and he doesn't say, this is the bread of our affliction. He breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And in doing so and substituting it in the way he did, he's saying that things that separate you from God, from having right relationship with God and yourself and with each other, you and the world, will happen, will happen as I die on a cross, right? That, that your sense of revolutionary freedom and peace relies on me, that I will be the bread of your affliction. I will take on the penalty of your sin and share in your suffering. I'll take your guilt and I'll take your shame in my act of dying. But I'm also the fuel and power and drive and God behind the revolution. I am the soul food because I am the food for your soul. So that you can enter a rest and believe and be restored. My aunt, who lives in D.C. now, she was the main cook in the family on my mom's side. My dad's side, they didn't cook too well. 
And I remember Annie, we called her Annie. Don't know why, it just came out like that. And we'd have a thing, she would shop all day, y'all, for the right foods, seafoods, going to the market. We just came in, we just came in on the boat this morning, that kind of stuff. Food costs a lot, right? Soul food costs a lot. When you got three proteins, that thing costs a lot. But she would spend her money, and, 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 and she would cook it all day, man. And, and you know what, what, what was interesting? Is that when the food would come out, she wouldn't eat. She would just stand there and watch. She would taste, but then she would just watch. She'd just, I'd be eating, she'd just come and look at you eating with a smile. That's good, son? Yes, Eddie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll try to save you some. And when I look at her eyes and I look back at what it was like, it's like we were eating the food she prepared, but her food was watching us be filled. Jesus says this in verse 29. And likewise, the cup after he'd eaten said, this cup that was poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Um, hold on a minute. Am I in the right spot? Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, verse 17. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is saying, I will not rest until you can. I will not sit in the place of honor so one day you can. I'm going to eat the bread of affliction so that you can live by grace. And Christ takes joy in paying for that grace and feeding it to us so that we can know his love. I urge you today as we come to the Lord's Supper to recognize what the fuel of your mission here is at Christ Central Church. It is the body and blood and work of Jesus Christ that calls us together to be a community that sustains us. Man, that's simply going to keep us. You know, there's a lot of discouragements over the last 13 years of doing the work we thought we were going to do. And we make statements like the work we thought we were going to do even after 13 years. I still feel like I'm planting the church. I still feel like I'm waiting for what we thought we were going to do 13 years ago to actually happen. And I realize that along the way, Christ has been feeding us. Jesus has been loving us. He's been caring for us. And we've been growing in him. As we keep our eyes on the mission, Christ has his eyes on you and us.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the food and fuel and grace necessary for what is a very trying work and hard work. I pray that you would knit together this community that they can serve each other and be served. Lord, watch over this church. Do powerful and amazing things. And Lord, I pray that when you do amazing things, that they would stand back and say, I I don't know how Jesus did this. Because we failed. We weren't as committed as we should have been. Or as faithful. As we come to this Lord's Supper this morning, Lord, prepare our hearts with that message of faith. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.